Can you make silver bullets? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can make silver bullets. What guns? Smith & Wesson 64 Revolver Remington 700 BDL Rifle. from the horrifying to the spine tingly. As always, I'm Lindsay Wilkins. And for this episode, it's about coming home, specifically from war, and how it can change you, whether mentally or physically. Well, it's actually, it's a double Adrian. It's a double of Adrian Garcia Bogoleno's Late Phases and Adrian Lyons' quiet masterpiece, Jacob's Ladder. And here with me for this happy bubbly double is the happiest movie guy I know, he is the host of the amazing cult movies. It is, of course, Anthony King. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> well, it's, it, I guess that's my thing now. Like I bring all the super happy stuff. Um, uh, God, watching Jacob's, rewatching Jacob's Ladder last night, I was like, man, this is such a depressingly beautiful movie. Yeah. I mean, it's right up my alley, but, you know, we doing that, that the fan and uh, uh, irreversible double and, I, you know, I love a sad movie. I'm happy to be back, Lindsay. Thanks for thanks for having me back. No, thank you for coming on. And thank you for reminding me that I needed to watch Jacob's Ladder again. And Beautifully Depressing is the perfect way to describe that movie. It is, um, well, we'll get into it. But yeah, I was kind of smiling all the way through. And I'm like, don't smile at this movie. This is not a smile at movie. <laughs> but it's just, um, we will get into it. Um, but yes, you are currently on hiatus uh, from cult movies, as you like to do, because you're a smart person who takes breaks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, last season was incredible, and I somehow got to justify how uh, Wizard of Oz is a cult movie So uh, on your show, which was um, completely a delight. Well, thank you. Yeah, love having you on a couple times each season, and um, yeah, this this hiatus is going a little longer than than I have in the past, but I'm in, honestly, I'm in no rush to listen. We finished the first book. That's, that was a big deal for me. Um, and eventually we'll come back, but I'm, I'm enjoying my break right now being able to spend time with my family. And, um, now that we're in, uh, uh the Halloween season, it's hard for me to be like, okay, now I've got to buckle down to watch, you know, whatever, you know, musical or drama i'm like no i just want to watch horror movies right now so um you know maybe maybe when november rolls around we'll start we'll start kicking episodes uh out again but um yeah I, you know it's it's been a blast and i i love the little group the little family we've we've sort of curated over there and and uh more than you know more than thrilled to to include you in that family 
Oh, no. I mean, I love the fact that you're part of this family as well over my side that I can just get you to come on and and hang out. And I love being part of cult movies, especially the stuff that you do over there. It's so intelligent and so weird. And I just love how the fact that lately you've just leaned into your whole, no, no, I like weird movies and sad movies. So we're just going to do a lot of that over the Patreon and kind of things like that or Marshall Gordon. Or I'm just like, Anthony's being Anthony and I love it. Yeah, it's been, it's been fun being able to just sort of uh, be able to be... Uh, um it's helped me find my uh movie watching identity which shouldn't be a thing but it is you know for people yeah. who watch lots of movies like you and I and people that listen to this show um and so it's you know it's been it's been really really fun and coming on other people's shows uh and talking about cult movies uh sort of reignites the flame for it so you know the more of these guest spots that i do this month will sort of propel me into getting back into season number six uh which opens up books two and three yes it's a whole new denny uh denny pearl uh, pearl, uh ah, perry sorry i want to call him denny pearl not that is a cinematographer um uh, texas chainsaw massacre um but no it's a whole new chapter for for the for Danny's books and for your show. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what crops up. I've purposely not looked because I want to be surprised. <laughs> but before we get on to the Schlock and Awe double, um, because we are doing werewolves, I sort of, I wasn't 100% sure if you liked werewolves. I was actually trying to work Larry Fessenden into this, which I did anyway, but late phases. So yay. Um, yeah. But is there something, do you, uh, do you like the monster of the werewolf is probably what I'm trying to ask. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. The my introduction to horror movies and and the reason why I kind of keep chasing that feeling uh, that I got when I was how old was I? Six years old, I think. Nineteen eighty-eight. Yeah, six years old. Nineteen eighty-eight. I saw an American Werewolf in Paris for the first time, and I've told this story um, several times, but the the attack at the beginning of the movie that kind of sets everything in off moors, yeah in the moors scared the hell like it's such a scary moment it scared me so bad uh that i had to turn the movie off and i didn't watch the movie for 30 years after that i didn't see in completion an american werewolf in london until i was in my late 30s and uh uh so but the werewolf has always been, you know, one of my favorite monsters. It's my favorite. Uh, the Wolfman is my favorite Universal monster movie. Um, you know, grew, we grew up watching Monster Squad. And so Wolfman in that, you know, Wolfman's Got Nards uh, was such a huge thing for me. Um, and, you know, there's so many, so many werewolf movies, you know, it's this sort of transformation. That's the cool thing about the werewolf movie is that it deals with this already living being, um, that, that transforms into something else, uh, you know, some horrific monster, but then goes back to its original human form, um, and so it's it's a really beautiful concept, and uh, you know, late phases, which we're going to talk about, deals with it really, really well. And you know, Larry Fessenden, his brand new movie this year, 
um, which should be, he's hitting the festivals right now. So I'm hoping by the end of the year, we'll be able to see it. Us normies. Um, but he's doing a werewolf movie. So, uh, he's, you know, he's getting in there too. I'm very excited about that. Yeah, because I was kind of having a conversation with someone else, but like, yeah, Larry Fessenden should do a werewolf movie, not knowing that he had actually just made one. Because um, I know for this October, I'm finally going to watch his Windigo, and um, I'm very looking, very looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, there is a thing about how the duality of um, a human being being having to turn into this creature once a month, and also the all the metaphors you can play on that, and that's kind of what I'm loving about this series is all the different ways you can actually use a werewolf. It's not just the one way. There are so many different ways. And so getting into late phases, um, it was really fascinating of how they actually used the whole, okay, so what is it act? What is it like to be this creature and how do you just maybe lean into it? So I guess with that, we might as well get, as I like to pretend we're sitting in a movie theater, the curtains are opening and Anthony, what is going to be your first trailer for? light phases well since we kind of have this overarching theme of vietnam um all my trailers spoilers are are going to be about you know either vietnam or post vietnam excellent yes movies Mm. and so i'm going to start with uh maybe maybe the best of that type of movie dead presidents from 1995 by the hughes brothers I'm about to get my pimp thing on started. Why are you always talking about this pimp stuff, man? What's happening? Women so pretty. Even and I ain't afraid of no war. I just want to do something that's different. Yeah, well, getting your head blown off is different. <laughs> so then you gonna marry me when you get back? You ain't got somebody else. I don't want nobody else. To the Bronx. Now you're going to play this Marine War hero. What you got when you get back here, huh? What's going on, man? Girl, come here. That's Daddy. Say hi. Hi. I'm going to get myself a good job. Don't you know if I had anything to offer you, I'd give it to you the moment you walk through that door. It's got such a great soundtrack, which helps the trailer out. Uh, immensely and the movie itself is incredible so uh we'll we'll watch the trailer for dead presidents which again is not a horror movie um but horrific in its own emotional way way yeah i was not expecting to be punched in the gut as much as i was with dead presidents yeah exactly so um and and i like how it you know it, it sort of relates to the the whole theme of the evening here it really really does like uh when i went in to watch it I thought it was just going to be a straight heist movie I was not expecting about what was it like uh, these guys coming back from war and just being I mean they're already um uh men of color so they're so they've already got that and as well as being Vietnam vets they've also got that whole other thing thrown on them as well so it's kind of like oh you've just been excluded from society twice um and which it's yeah no it is a brilliant brilliant movie if you've never seen Dead Presidents absolutely watch it because it is a phenomenal and a great trailer for this and that soundtrack is just yeah and i'll tell you what the while it's not a horror movie it does have one of the scariest to me images in it uh when they uh, at the end 
they bust into somebody's apartment and, and find this person. I'm not going to say who it is, but find this person dead from a drug overdose. And that image, for some reason, when I saw this in is probably I was probably a freshman in high school um, in 96, just scared the living daylights out of me. Just that image of that person with the needle in their arm, you know, eyes glassed over dead uh, for however many days uh, is really, really terrifying. I don't know if if I doubt that picture's in the trailer because it's it's a big spoiler, but um, so there is a very horrific moment in this, actually several horrific moments in this in this movie, but that one scared the hell out of me. No, because you are also dealing with people who also are dealing with uh, PTSD and a whole bunch of other things. And yeah, a lot of, and how, yeah, no, it is a, it is, it is more horrific than I was expecting, but in that way that is narratively satisfying, especially that scene that you're talking about. I mean, it's gut-wrenching, but it kind of, no, that is a horrific, there's a few horrific images actually in this, but um, yeah, no, this is absolutely, absolutely perfect. Um, Okay, so for my first trailer, I am, I decided to go with more the blind element, I guess, to, for this movie, uh, just because I think it was a fascinating thing to to do with um, Nick DiMenci's character, but I am going to go for Fidi Alvarez's Don't Breathe from, from 2016. Story goes, some girl ran over this guy's daughter. Daughter dies, and this rich-ass family pays him off. Guy is an army vet loner. Are we good? He's out. He's a sleeping beauty. Guys, the money's in the house. It's probably in there. Why'd you bring a gun? Who, who's there? Okay, man, just chill, all right? Stay right there. Don't you test me! who's blind and you think is yeah well anyway the um Stephen Lang character is horrific but um this was I remember seeing for the first time it was at a festival so we had to take our phones I didn't even know what the movie was about like I didn't know if it was a ghost movie or what and to have that movie unfold in front of you in a crowded theater I, I swear the air left the room everyone was losing their mind yeah it man that that was a uh, you go in expecting one thing and then you know, it, it flips on you and you think, holy hell. And, uh, um, man, what a, what a great experience in the theater that was being able to see that. And I gotta say, I gotta say, I know there are tons and tons and tons of fans of barbarian. Um, but don't breathe. Did it first and did it better. Sorry, folks. Yes, I as someone who does absolutely love Barbarian, I think I'm going to have to agree with you on that. Um, only because I think they did it first and did it slightly better, uh, a little bit more cohesive. But in saying that, I still love Barbarian. Um, I think uh, Justin Long is going to be another horror movie this year, and I'm very excited. Just keep putting him in horror movies. Um, <laughs> I'm, 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 I want to see terrible things happen to this apparently very sweet man um, who keeps playing douchebags. It's... Um, 
no, it's you're right. I have to I have to give that to you as much as I do love Barbarian. But it's just the way this movie is constructed. I don't think even Fetty Alvarez has beaten this movie in terms of how it's constructed. It's uh, it's it's amazing. Um, I remember it being a great trailer, and I think it kind of fits in with this very intense theme of what are about we're about to get into. What is going to be mm-hmm. your second trailer? All right. Um, let's see, Charles, Christine, Andy. Uh, I'm going to do the one horror movie trailer that I have, and that is Bob Clark's Dead of Night or Death Dream. Dead of Night. The story of one night in a small town that changed the lives of many and ended the lives of some. Descended upon the town. Something corrupt, unspeakable. Behind their drawn curtains, they waited as fear walked in the dead of night. From 1974, about uh, uh, it, you know, it's it's about this this older couple who are welcoming back their son from the Vietnam War, but something is very different with him um and so as it's it's a very quiet um slowly paced but sort of dread filled movie again i i i haven't i don't even know if i've seen the trailer once but uh i was just completely sort of uh taken aback when i was watching the movie um but it's you know like I said, it's the one horror trailer, uh, horror movie trailer. But again, it, it deals with uh, the post effects of Vietnam or or just war and soldiers returning and how that affects one, the soldier, but two, that person's family, friends, loved ones, um, and how everyone's brains are sort of scrambled uh, at that time. No, it's yeah. I still need to see this movie. This was um, a movie I re- I've been needing to see a long time because I do love Bob Clark, obviously for um, Black Christmas and A Christmas Story. And I still need to see. I think he did Children Don't Play with Dead Things um, as well. So I need to see more of his horror output. Um, but this has is such an intriguing concept of looking at your family member returning from something that was absolutely horrific and them being changed forever now this is done in a much more horror tone but i i love that idea so i yeah this is a, a great trail i think this is even one that i floated to you because it felt like a very you movie um but so no i'm really looking forward to um watching i should put it on my ever-growing watch list uh for this year because um i do i do need to see this movie yeah it's it's really really good yeah okay so um i'm gonna bring the tone right down like and I don't apologize for it because watching late phases 
it was almost distracting me how much Nick DeManchi sounded like a certain Charles Bronson. So I'm going to go for the movie that's closest to a horror movie the man ever did. And it, and it also happens to be the sleaziest movie, <laughs> one of the sleaziest movies he's, he's ever, he's ever done. And that is of course, Jaylee Thompson's 10 to midnight from 1983. Charles Bronson is a cop looking for a killer and he's running out of time. When the guilty go free, the system is the crime. I'm a mean, selfish son of a bitch. But I want a killer, and what I want comes first. Well, how come I've never heard him mention a daughter? It seldom crosses his mind that he has one. He's one angry man with someone to protect. How long with your father? He can make a difference. Like hurting girls? I won't answer that. Girls won't have anything to do with you, but you get back at them, don't you? I won't listen to your filth. Oh, Gotta remind you about evidence obtained under duress. It's inadmissible, Leo. Uh, I apologize for nothing. Um, this is part of the Charles Bronson uh, dildo uh, duology that he had done. That with oh shoot, <laughs> what was the other movie where he waves a dildo around? Uh, K- Kayache or something like that? Uh, uh, Kinjite. Kinjite. Yeah. Um, but I. Uh, what a that's a very very terrible movie, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Still but he that. does kick a guy's ass with a dildo, so. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Ten to midnight, he just waves it around in some guy's face and asks if he's a, if he enjoys it. Uh, what do you do with this? We're jerking <laughs> off. Jerking off. I have a soft spot for this movie. It is I, J. Lee Thompson's a really good director, so this is very well directed. But it is uh, um, Charles Bronson playing a disgruntled cop who is trying to uh, hunt down a serial killer. It's it, it's actually in fact very dirty, Harry, in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. But because he works in a system that has laws and procedures and and uh, Mirandaizing someone, he cannot get this serial killer who strips down nude to kill his killers, um, which is a sight. Believe me, having this blonde haired man running around after a woman screaming is is, hell, is a hell of an image. Um, but no, this is we're going to be talking about a lot of heavy themes. This movie is not that, but I was just like going what is this the charles bronson werewolf movie that i never got now i have in in my life this is great so yeah i i, I brought the tone down but we're going 10 to midnight i love this movie it's a great 80s cop movie um yes. and this is this is charles bronson um sort of just um proving that he's open to do absolutely anything um you know he's he the end he's sharing a scene with this just butt ass naked dude. And you're like, yeah, good, good for you, Charles Bronson. Like you're not the, the sort of like right wing homophobe uh, sort of American that you think Charles Bronson would be because of his filmography. Like he, you know, he was willing to do absolutely anything. And this movie fucking rules. It really does. I have already done an episode with Preston Mitchell on this on this movie, and but this movie rules. And yes, this is an '80s cop movie. I forgot that you are the king of this. And when your book comes out, I expect a chapter or a little thingy of whatever on Ten to Midnight because if it's not in there, then what are we doing? Oh, you, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you can count on that. Yeah. Oh, special shout out to your. I think it was. Was it? It might have been a Patreon episode on if this movie when you and Patrick talked about. Um, 80s cop movies 
Um, yeah, 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 we did. Yeah, we yeah on F this movie for a Patreon episode, we did like five. Um, on I don't even know if they were underrated. Just five of our favorite cop eighties cop movies. But I mean that you know that's that's one thing I can always uh talk about is is an eighties cop movie. Yeah, which which is not I and I love talking about werewolf movies too. Yeah, so you know. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't discriminate when it comes to movies. I'll talk no, about anything. You love all movies. And, uh, <laughs> um, but yes, uh, with that, we're going to be getting into a little 2014 gem, kind of when the indie horror scene was just really starting to kick off and you're starting to get these really amazing movies. Uh, comes a werewolf movie when there had not been a werewolf movie in a while. It reminds me of that place that we used to live in when I was a kid. I can't see you, but you smell beautiful. Did you just move next door? sign of this assailant. It's just an animal attack. This has happened before. Attacks like these happen all the time. Please, stay in your house. Keep the doors closed until we sort this out, okay? Seems like such a nice place to live. People don't come to places like this to live. Come here to die. No. Um, when did you first see uh late phases? Well, that's that's really cool that um you asked me to be on an episode and and this was included on in the choices because um you know I and I, I've been fairly open about this. I'm pretty new uh when it comes to you know, sort of really digging deep into movies and and being sort of movie obsessed because back in 2000, it, it must have been 14, um, maybe, maybe late 14, I like went crazy obsessive over horror movies um, and like just... It, and I'd always been a, a movie fan and a horror movie fan, but but around this time, um, you know, I, I discovered late phases. I discovered uh, there's a, a sort of computer found footage movie called The Den, which I'm a big fan of. Oh, yep. Um, uh, Starry Eyes I watched around yes. this time. Um uh, uh, contracted. I watched around this time, like uh, uh, like you're saying, a lot of this these indie horror movies. Let me click on 2014 here and see. Let's go to genre uh, horror. Uh, a girl walks home alone at night. Uh, taking of Deborah Logan. Housebound. Uh, there is that is that kiwi or is that that is, is that, that, that is very kiwi that you couldn't yeah, get more yeah. kiwi yeah. yeah yeah oh last shift 
you know, which is sort of back in the conversation because he remade uh, De Blasi remade it this year to in into Malum. Yes. Uh, Last Shift is a great movie. And so, anyways, uh yeah, Starry Eyes came out that year. Yeah, oh, this the was guest. Huge... Yeah. yeah. The guest, Honeymoon. If you've oh, ever my... seen Honeymoon, I Honeymoon have seen Honeymoon. Rules. Honeymoon absolutely um, rules. Yeah. Big fan of uh the houses October built. Uh it's a really good found footage movie. Spring's amazing uh-huh. if you uh it's voices which is an even under sort of underrated horror oh comedy. the ryan reynolds one yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. oh the canal the <gasps> yes the canal's a good irish i think let us pray another mm. irish movie i think anyways huge indie boom so i i start watching a bunch of these sort of newer horror movies and become obsessed um and that really like i said you know i we did slumber parties growing up and you know um and I, I watched lots of, I mean, the American Werewolf in Paris when I was six years, or London, not Paris, London, when I was six years old. And so, like, ever since then, I've been sort of chasing it. But I became obsessive about watching as much as I can back that, you know, it was only nine years ago. It's less than a decade. Um, so, the and, you know, I talk about that on, on my show a lot that I, you know, it's it's really only been in the past 10 years that I've sort of really dug deep and really the past maybe even five years where i went uh, outside of horror and went went deep there anyways uh so i saw late phases then and really loved it but hadn't seen it since uh whereas like i've watched starry eyes a bunch i've watched honeymoon a few times i've watched all you know last shift is probably my favorite out of that group um i've watched a bunch half a dozen times uh, but late phases, which I loved, and I love the cast, um, but I'd only seen it. Stakeland was another one, right? Yes. Nick Dimitri, of yes. course. Yes, yes. Um, good vampire movie. Very good vampire movie. Um, uh, Mickles, I think. Jim Mickles? Some, yeah, yeah, Jim Mickles. Oh, yeah. God, what a great filmmaker. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, but so I finally, this was a great excuse to go back and rewatch it and, you know, loved it probably more this time around than I did back then. No, we have a similar kind of thing. I mean, I think it was around 2000, maybe a year earlier. Um, Again, if this movie, thank you, Patrick Bromley, um, because I started participating in, because I was a movie fan. I would watch movies a lot, but I wouldn't say I was obsessive. Um, And then I started sort of participating in things like Juxploitation and Scary Movie Month. And I started getting into all these, again, these indie horror movies. And I think it was a couple of years after it, uh, late phases came out when I finally saw it, but it was the exact same thing. Starry Eyes, Late Shift. Um, I think in 2016, I love um, Beyond the Gate. All these kind of things. And then, of course, that where my Italian obsession came into and all these kind of things. But it was the same thing. I just wanted to watch as much as possible. I wanted to go back and watch a whole bunch of movies from the th- 20s and 30s and 40s and just try and it became more of an obsession. And, of course, now we both have podcasts. So I guess that's kind of where it came but I think I had the same thing I remember watching late phases and really liking it and then watching it again yeah I really like it even more I think it's a really great cast I think it's really smart um I love Nick Dimitri's performance I think he is doing Bronson but I think that added to my enjoyment of it and I think this is just a really smart werewolf movie that is dealing with a lot of things but really quietly because it sort of also knows that it needs when it needs the big werewolf, werewolf moments, it absolutely just goes for it. Yeah, yeah, and it's. I think it's. Um, 
it's an original take on a werewolf movie. Uh, you know, it's it, it could be. I I gotta say, I don't know if I've seen a werewolf movie where it's like, oh god, this again. Um, usually they're quite unique. Yeah. Um, and, and to be honest, you know, I maybe I've seen twenty. 25 werewolf movies um obviously there are many many more maybe 26 or 27 werewolf movies uh, i've seen 25 of them uh and they uh, you know uh, but late phases i feel like is is one of the most unique um because it, it, you know it's dealing with this sort of uh ptsd ptsd from not only being in war but but you know a grief right losing a yes. wife uh moving out of your house into this you know growing old sort of thing uh which is Retirement funny community. like yeah yeah you know nick Demichi, he's like he's i don't know 53 54 when he's making this yes. like he's not retirement community no. age uh but I mean, he's he's such a badass that you let it slide. He is totally doing Bronson. I never even thought about that, but he is totally doing Bronson. Um, and you know, it's it's a really touching story. Like when you know, he's a great actor who does not have an extensive filmography, which is surprising to me. Uh, but pair him with with guys like Ethan Embry, who I think is a fabulous actor. He's so good. I think he's so underrated. Very much. He's so. really good in this. Uh, Tom Noonan is always great. I think Lance Guest is really good. He's, um, I wouldn't call him the comic relief, although like when he is meeting, he, he, he meets with Tom Noonan, the priest, and he's like, I've tried all these things and like nothing's working and I can't fight it. Whether that is supposed to be funny or not, it it came off comically to me, and I thought he he's played a, it really well. He's a little bit of a bozo, um, like he's he's kind of got a weird energy about him, which I think works for the movie because yeah, oh totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Spoilers for because late phases, he is the werewolf, so he's the one who kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. Otherwise, this movie would be extremely like downtrodden and depressing and like not fun at all. Which, admittedly, I love those types of movies, but for this you kind of need it because it, it does get really heavy like it's about you know this aging thing and this guy who's you know he's grieving you know several different things and and then the ending is kind of heavy which uh you know when when ethan Embry comes back and listens to the voicemail you know i teared up um uh no tears escaped but i my eyes did well up and it's like uh we need some sort of levity here and i think lance guest uh, is perfect and also i gotta say i really love the werewolf design here like it is it, it doesn't even look like a freaking wolf it's some sort of like weird uh gross like stringy mop alien monster thing uh but it's creepy yeah it's it is really creepy and because there's sort of been a discussion throughout the episodes of done whether you like a um a werewolf that stands on two feet or you like a four-legged werewolf. I'm mm. kind of leaning because I saw um watched for the first time when I did the episode with uh Travis and the company of wolves. I'm like, oh no, I'm a full-legged wolf person. That wolf and <laughs> I'm American werewolf in London, that's kind of where I am. 
But this werewolf is cool and it's kind of a badass werewolf. I mean, yes, it's going around killing elderly people, which is kind of mean. Considering this is also an elderly werewolf, he's just sort of killing his his, his neighbours. But the way he, I mean, that opening werewolf attack is amazing. And usually uh, one thing a werewolf movie does, it will build up to the werewolf. You'll see um, yeah. even if something like something as well done as something American Wolf in London, where you get that first attack, you're only seeing bits and pieces of the wolf you don't necessarily see him walk around in the house like you do in in late phases and this movie does yeah i mean this movie does with some really heavy themes i mean not only the ones you mentioned but also generational trauma of nick demanche's character ambrose passing all his trauma down to his son and i think that's why the message at the end really hits home because that's i think that's when he finally realizes oh i may have fucked my kid up um he wants as soon as he's having a kid he's taking that kid far away from from me he doesn't want my grandchild anywhere near me because of the baggage i have put onto my kid so i think um and that final shot even makes it more powerful because you're never gonna not be your father's kid either yeah yeah there's a lot of things but i think even nick dimanche can be really funny especially when he's trying to interact with his neighbors and terribly like my parents have also this year moved into a retirement community and um my mother would totally be one of the ladies with the hats like just (laughs) trying to like you can't the one thing i've noticed when i've gone to see my parents at this retirement community is that um your privacy does go away a little bit because you have to interact with everyone. It's almost expected. It's like a Stanford wife situation where you just can't keeping to yourself is considered a weird thing. So um, I get where Paul Ambrose is coming from. Just please leave me alone. And everyone just like not leaving him alone. I got to say originally the two trailers I I would play before this, before I kind of went with the whole Vietnam theme, it was going to be Stepford wives and the original Stepford Wives, and then uh, Society. Yes, <laughs> I thought of Society for, as well. For late phases. <laughs> yes, uh, but I thought eh, we'll we'll keep it sort of thematic uh, throughout the whole evening. But uh, I I I do like I, I guess yeah the ladies like Ritanya Alda who is fabulous and everything. I love her so much. Um, you know she's kind of funny when she's talking about her husband who's in the Iron Lung and. Uh, or does he ever get out of it? You know, <laughs> yes. Ambrose no. asks, hey, Oh, so, yes, he goes, he, he disappears all the time. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the, and then like at the end, there's that levity of, of the older guy with the eye patch as yes. a werewolf with, an, with, with like, he's either missing an eye or he's got, it's like a white eye patch. Yeah. Um, so, you know, th- that's kind of funny. Uh, the other thing is like, this is, it's, it's, um, it gets right into it, uh, because on Ambrose's first night, uh, that's when his neighbor Dolores is killed by a werewolf. Like he moves in on a full moon and that first night, which is crazy to me. Cause I mean, any sane person would be like, okay, I'm not living here. First night, somebody is brutally murdered next to me. No, no, I'm leaving. Uh, but, you know, sort of the his his character, the theme of the whole thing is that he's got all this pride. And the thing that I really love that I sort of forgot about this movie is that it's this takes place, you know, it's a month. And so the first night is a full moon. And then we have 30, 31 days to the next moon. 
and the whole time he's preparing yes. for that. That's all he's doing. And I love a good, and a lot of times like it's, it's, um, you know, another trailer I had considered uncommon valor with Gene Hackman, great war movie, sort oh, of yes, yes. movie, really good yeah. movie. Um, a lot of that movie, like three quarters of that movie is them preparing to, to go into the, the jungle and like rescue these guys. Um, and most of this movie, uh, you know, aside from the first 10 minutes and the last say 20 minutes is Ambrose preparing to, because he, he knows like it, it clicks right away. He's like, Holy shit, there's werewolves here. And so he spends most of the movie preparing. Um, and so I really appreciate that. You know, a lot, you know, uh, was a predator, uh, so many of these like uh, action movies, you get that montage of guys, you know, getting their traps ready and like getting their ammo. And it, it's just a montage. It's like a five, you know, three, four, five minute montage here. We get almost an entire movie of that. And, and in my opinion, I think successfully they're able to sort of draw that out and make it entertaining and not tedious or boring. No, I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, they, that first attack is amazing. Poor, is it Delilah? Yeah, that's that. Dolores. Side. Dolores. Yeah. It's a really great scene. I love the scene when he first walks into the house and he's just tracing his fingers along the wall, just trying to get to know the new place. And then he finds the scar of a, of a cut of a, well, someone scratched and he pulls out yeah. a, um, he pulls claw. out a claw. It's this really amazing detail because it lets you know, oh, there's werewolves and that first attack when poor ghost dies. As soon as I saw the dog again, I'm like, oh, that's right. That, yeah. Ah, uh, uh, dogs in horror movies. You're like, oh, okay. And then he's kind of left on his own. And because he's a soldier and because he specifically was in Vietnam, this is what he does. And he's not going to just go run away. He's not going to leave. He's going to do what his training taught him to do in Vietnam, which was to prepare for when the next attack comes. Um, and I think that's really, really cool. And I think because the fact that he is preparing all this time, he's also investigating. So he's actually having to force to get to know his neighbors, which he yeah. really doesn't want to do. Also it's um, so he gets to know Tom. New I love Tom. New Tom Newman's good in everything, but him as yeah. the priest, because he's kind of the red herring. Oh, well, it yep. could be the priest. Actually, no, it's the it's the buddy to the priest. Um, but he's just honestly wanting to help. And the, that conversation they have when he tells Tom Noonan about the time he shot that kid who was hooked up to all the grenades, it was like this horrific thing. No one wanted to do it, but he did it because he thought that he had to. But now that thing stays with him and he cannot get rid of it. It's like the things you do in war are always going to stay with you. And that's part of your PTSD as much as the things that you happen to you and that you saw. Have you seen Brooklyn 45 yet? Uh, oh, yeah. Larry Fessenden. Yeah yeah. 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 I mean, that talks about a similar things. Ghost, I love that movie so much. Um, but that talks about the things that you did in war that you bring back with yeah. you and that just stay with you. And I think that story the six short. And plus, he's trying to get the priest to commit uh, uh confess that he's an actual werewolf and going around and killing his parishioners. Yeah. 
Tom Newton's patient. I just love his patient's performance. Like he's like, I didn't, I don't like how we left that last conversation. He was like, you're accusing me of something and I don't know what exactly, but you, you know, what's yeah. interesting is that, okay. So I, uh, most people know I used to be a youth pastor and so, you know, working for a church, my boss was the pastor, right. The, the, mm. the lead pastor and Tom Newton, aside from the smoking, Tom Noonan totally reminded me of uh, the one of the pastors I used to work for. Oh, yeah. Um, and that he was soft-spoken and uh, sort of awkward and, um, you know, really lacking people skills, but also like uh, being um, so tone deaf that he was just so forward enough saying, I don't like how we left that last conversation. Whereas like any normal human being would be like, Oh, fuck it. We, we don't need to talk about it. It's, you know, we'll just forget it and move past yeah. it. Uh, but like, you know, he, uh, Noonan's character being a priest or a, a pastor has, you know, this guilt that sort of lives with him and that he can't release like any normal human being. And so he has to bring it up again to this other person. And um, so I completely bought, Tom Noonan as the priest. I did not buy Tom Noonan as a smoker. <laughs> no, like he's a little the most awkward smoker. I was like, no, dude. Like, well, the other thing, like, he was like three feet from from the church door. Like his parishioners are coming out, and he's like, wouldn't he three be around the back? The door, yeah, fucking yeah. smoking. It's like, what are? I mean, I understand budget restrictions and you, you can know, feel it with uh, a little bit location and all that stuff. Yeah. But my God, please. <laughs> no, I mean, especially toward the end when you've got the big wheel protect, I could feel them stretching over their budget a little bit. Usually they're pretty sure. like, you can tell this is a small budget um, independent movie, um, but toward the end, um, I'm just like, oh, they're just concentrating on him. I can feel that they've overstretched what they had and they're just trying to work around it, which is usually some of my favorite things in, in movies, how they do the work around it. So it's not exactly a criticism, but yeah, you're right. I'm just like, why is he speaking outside the church? But I love the, because I love the fact that this is from Dimitri's or Ambrose's point of view. So it's, he never sees the werewolf attack. You can tell he only hears it. Um, and more importantly, he smells cigarette smoke. So yep. instant and wheezing. So someone who's a smoker, but then you realize it's, the other guy so he's just going around to see if he can smell cigarette smoke which i kind of love that idea of you just trying to have a sneaky cigarette when you're not meant to and this guy just comes up to you and goes werewolf it, it does yeah. that i love that and because he's being so bronson about it it just it, it tickles me yeah it's uh you know it's a it's a nice little um detail in the script that that comes off really well um and okay so I have a question here. Mm -hmm. This might be a dumb question. Does Tom Tom Noonan escape? Does he live? Does he survive? Because I remember him just like seeing the attack and then running through the window and then he's gone for the rest of the movie. I assume that he died, but you're right. You never actually see it. Because uh, the whole thing Lance talks about is that he realized the year ago that there was a werewolf he went out and hunted it and it got him so he's now a werewolf yep. so now yep. he's really leaning into the fact that he's a werewolf so right. um but then at the end shot when you have ethan embry pointing the gun at the moon 
he's now taking his dad's mantle as the hunter. So maybe Tom Noonan did survive and he has to go now hunt Tom Noonan. I'm not, it's, it's kind of ambiguous um, probably because of budget constraints, but I assumed that he had died. Lance guessed mostly whole thing until he starts trying to make more werewolves is that um, he, you kill the thing that you're hunting because otherwise they'll turn into you. Right. But then he starts like biting all his neighbors. So I have actually, I have no idea. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's a little uh, ambiguous and or confusing, which yes. again, does takes nothing away from the movie for me. I sort of um, have a theory, which again, is not going to make sense, which sort of plays along with the, with the whole movie, but that Tom Noonan was the werewolf that Lance Guest was hunting and as a werewolf, Tom Noonan bit Lance Guest, but that doesn't explain why Tom Noonan didn't transform into a werewolf when the moon was full, when yes. everybody else was turned into a werewolf, and and why he was scared and ended up running away. Again, it doesn't, nothing sort of makes sense, but I'm not here to like poke holes and like uh, find the logic in a werewolf movie. No, I mean, I. Yeah, that it could be an interesting theory because it was reminding me a lot of the movie Silver Bullet, which, to be fair, I had just seen before I watched Late Phases. So I was like, ah, priest, like two amazing character actors playing priests in a werewolf movie. It's going to be Tom Noonan, isn't it? Just like Everett McGill um, deciding he's going to kill uh, Corey Hawkins, uh, Corey, um, not Corey Hawkins, um, Corey Ain, because Aine. he um, exploded his eye out with a firework. It's... <laughs> some of bullets amazing so i can't it did have that because it's a small community there is sort of a pre uh, a priest at the top i kind of was like getting very much that um silver bullet vibe from from late phases but instead of a curious kid in a wheelchair it's a very capable hardened man who is blind which i like the fact that he's blind i really love the fact that this is a guy who um they do make him I don't know what it's like to be blind. So I'm assuming you do just have to rely on your other senses more. So you do have incredibly good hearing and and could good sense of smell, but just the way he just like, he goes around and he's got this weird confidence, but kind of look like a fawn who's just starting to walk when he's walking without shadow. And he doesn't know exactly where he's going. It's yeah. It's, it's kind of incredible, but the fact, yeah, I just, yeah, I got a lot of silver bullet vibes, but I do like the fact that it's Lance guest. I do like his, buffoonish performance yeah when he's like i don't know it's it just yeah i could poke poke holes holes in it but i don't think that's the point because it's a werewolf movie and i think you're just meant to accept things that you see even if the budget constraints around it you couldn't necessarily see tom noonan's death or a few other things that would have made a little bit more sense what i really like about ambrose is that yes he's you know he's got uh pride as tall as the the Empire State Building and like uh, balls of steel, mm. yet he's still scared when he when he you know holds the gun up and he's trying to figure out where the hell to point this thing. He's still scared and he shows this fear, and uh, I appreciate that. Uh, that all sort of feels. Um, uh, a little bit realistic because a lot of times you'd have you have these soldiers uh in movies who just come off as you know completely infallible that that they you know 
they don't uh, know fear and they don't show emotion. Uh, and here Ambrose, you know, does get vulnerable. He leaves that voicemail for his son. And when he's when he's face to face with the werewolf, even though he can't see exactly what he's facing, he's terrified. And that comes through in Demichi's performance. And I really appreciate that, um, that that they allow the character to stretch like that. Yes, because he's almost angry that how scary and vulnerable he he is. He you can kind of see yeah. him get pissed off at, at himself, which is why he kind of acts like he has balls of steel, which I don't think he does. I mean, when you're dealing with the Vietnam War, most of these guys were kids who got drafted into the war, so these kids weren't hurt. Most of the people, though, you got the feeling that he was already in the military. He's a military guy. He, this is what he does. Like he can. Everyone's like, you shouldn't have a gun. You're blind. He's like, I know more about guns than you do such and such like he's he, he he generally knows what he's doing but there's a vulnerability to him that because he's blind but he doesn't want to admit how hard it is now for him and how now he's scared because he can only hear this thing that yeah it's like he almost it's a point of pride with him that he will not leave because he's scared almost i got that sense from it it's like oh no no this thing terrified me it killed my dog and him just holding shadow going can you please help my dog He's he's kind of that annoying guy who's going to make a point out of everything, like which I kind of love about this character. Like he's going to take a month to bury his dog because that's what he's going to do. He's going to go back to Larry Fessenden and buy the biggest gravestone for his dog because it's the point. <laughs> it's not anything else, which would make him a very difficult person to be around, but a very enjoyable movie character to watch. What's kind of sad is is uh, when everything sort of plays out and at the end um you realize he knew from that first night that he after his dog died that he wasn't going to survive yes but that he was going to get his revenge but he knew he wasn't going to survive and and that never he never talks about that because we don't hear him leave the voicemail with with his son ethan embry uh until the very very end when they're spoilers uh ambrose dies and at the very end there it's ethan embry and his wife just standing there burying him that oh that he knew all along he wasn't going to come out of this but that he had this goal in mind and he was going to complete his goal question is ambrose going to be a werewolf because he was killed by a werewolf or is it only when you're bit i think it's definitely when you're bit he was bit but then he died. So I don't think if he had survived, yes, I think he was going to be okay. a werewolf. So it's not, it's not like a resurrection. No, thing. I think okay, it, okay. in this movie, once you're dead, you are dead. Cause even um, gotcha. Lance guest says you have to kill the thing that you bite. Otherwise it will turn into you, which is the one quibble I have with the movie. He says that, but you can tell because he knows that Ambrose is after him. He goes around making more werewolves. So I don't know. And I don't know if the final battle is him killing more than one werewolf or if he's just killing Lance Guest. I mean, that's obviously Lance Guest, I think, who's the werewolf lying on the ground when Ethan Embry comes around and goes, holy shit, that's a werewolf. Um, yeah. Or if that is another neighbor. So I think that's my only thing. I don't know if he was meant to fight more than one werewolf or what is happening because um do you think yeah um okay so the the final shot again big spoilers here 
the final shot uh, it's a it's a military death so they have the folded flag and then Ethan Embry's going to do the 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 rifle salute but he points it up at the full moon right he points yes. it up at the full moon and shoots so what are they burying him like a month later anyways again we're not poking holes here friends we're just we we like this movie yes um did that leave room for a sequel as Ethan Embry as sort of like a werewolf hunter yes. or, or was that just like, did you think it, it, it that's left- how I read it. Yeah. That's how I read okay. it. And he's going to be a werewolf hunter. He's going to pick up where his, his father left off because the whole point is that from the really, from the very beginning, Ethan Embry does not want to deal with his dad. Even yeah. when he's texting while he's driving, driving him, which is irresponsible. He's, constantly on the phone going yeah sorry my dad's being a pain or kind of he's an hour out of town it's you can tell he's just the one left who is he feels that he's settled with his dad and by the end he's kind of realized who his dad was and now is going to um follow in his footsteps which is now he's going to go hunt werewolves that's how i read the movie but i think you can read the movie a couple of different ways would you Hold on. Hold on. Let me just, let me scroll down here. Would you be open for a late phases part two with Ethan Embry hunting werewolves? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you I know, love, around this time. I love Ethan Embry and I would love him to hunt werewolves. I think that would be very cool, especially there's this one scene where I forgot how good he is at the sad eyes when he's walking into his dad and he's just got these big blue eyes. I'm like, oh yeah, no one does sad eyes like Ethan Embry and to have him do more sad eyes at vampires, I would be <laughs> fully on board for. <laughs> okay, so Ethan Embry has only been in four, eight, 12 horror movies, but around this time, they're not going to call... I'm sorry, I'm like speaking incoherently to myself here okay so late phases uh devil's candy he does the next year devil's candy i really like that movie yes me too uh, my, minus the terrible fake fire um it was gonna know. get fake fire i've come to terms with fake fire now i'm always happy when i see a real fire but movies now have sure. fake fire so i'm like eh um, you know, he was in uh Don Coscarelli's incident on and off a mountain road, part yeah. of the Masters of Horror. Um, I wish Ethan Embry Embry would do more. He was in They. Man, I haven't seen They since 2002. Yeah. Oh, she was um, in They. I know he was in yeah. um Definitely the Guest. Uh of course I'm obsessed with that movie for obvious reasons. But yeah, no, he it's kind of seems to be in his later career that he started doing more horror movies, and I am all for that because i think he's really good i think he's got he can do emotion really well and i think he's kind of got this he's kind of seems like a bigger guy so he's got the size for it so yeah yeah. um yeah no i would be i like ethan embry horror guy because a devil's he he plays these unhinged characters not in late phases he's not unhinged he's very he's quite hinged yes like he's the most hinged in in the movie yeah right in something like you know if we got a late phases too then we'd get unhinged Ember. Yes, yes. Uh, he goes completely unhinged, probably the most unhinged in Cheap Thrills. Oh, uh, shit. Yes, he does. <laughs> a, I mean, just an incredible freaking movie. Oh, my God. Um, I forgot about, I, I felt bad at myself. I forgot about Cheap Face. <laughs> Damn me, Cheap Thrills. <laughs> 
And he was in oh, Convergence. What a terrible oh, movie. That was That's yeah. a really bad movie. Yeah, that um, is. But he was absolutely crazy. So, like, you know, for me, my introduction to Ethan Embry, uh, you know, as rec- I, I probably saw him when he was in movies when he was even younger but empire records and yeah then, that was uh, mine can't, can't hardly wait were like my intros to ethan Embry. um and so i thought oh look he's a, a sort of quirky character around my age uh but you know he can do god he can do so much more and I, so i this is just me saying i would love to see more unhinged horror ethan Embry. Me too, because I think he can do that well. Because, yeah, as, as my introduction was Empire Records, it was um, Can't Hardly Wait, and it was, oh, the Tom Hanks music movie where he played the bassist that doesn't speak. Those were kind of my introductions. I think that was when he was trying to be more of a teen heartthrob, and now he's transitioned into um, Psycho Horror Guy. And I would, I mean, it's all about the big blues. I mean, those eyes are freaking huge. So I think, yeah, I would love a late phases too where he's just completely unhinged um, hunting hunting werewolves, I think would be amazing yeah this is late phases is just a really great indie movie it's got an amazing cast uh we've already mentioned larry fessenden who i managed to work into into this movie with you somehow um but he's in a lot of he produced a he produces a lot so he's gonna pop up a lot well uh, the other thing is uh so this is a dark sky films movie and so dark sky has done some of the like the best modern horror, the innkeepers, starry oh, eyes. We yes, talked about. yes, we're still here. Another Ted Gagan movie, uh, a couple hatchet movies, uh, late phases, Frankenstein's oh, army, had to. yeah, uh, Gagan's Mohawk. Uh, so yeah, I think, uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of Dark Sky, and man, they haven't done much else. 20 okay, so they have they. Every now and then they're, mm. they're, but, um, so I, I dig a dark sky movie. It's, that was probably, I wonder if dark sky kind of got me into, uh, I looked at, okay. Production company around this time they did late phases or maybe I thought I probably saw starry eyes first. And so got into late phases, um, and then discovered probably the innkeepers and then realized the next year, uh, we're still here. Uh, came out and that was a dark sky film so uh, and then that put Ted Gagan on my radar of course love that I love Mohawk and then you know you talked about um, Brooklyn 45 uh, 45 already so uh, yeah big big fan of dark sky I think that's Travis Stevens is that I I don't know Um, but uh, yeah lay phases killer movie man yeah and it really is it is it's really just it's kind of one of the examples why I love independent horror movies, especially from this time. It's really inventive. You can tell it's a small budget, but they work around it really well. They'll often get like um, a Lance Lance Guest or a Tom Noonan just for like a couple of days. But they really do, especially Dark Sky in this period, but have really solid script. I mean, Starry Eyes is an amazing script, especially when you realize what that movie is leading to. Um, with Is it Alex Esso who leads Starry Eyes? she's amazing and you really like her and you realize oh wait no she's the monster she's she's the oh no um i've been following the monster all this time and i'm kind of loving it but yeah this kind of just epitomizes why i love sort of mid 20 teens independent horror i think it's just really good and late phase is just a really good werewolf movie yes late phase is incredible movie um you know again like i said earlier it's unique 
and uh you know full of fantastic performances yes um so you're ready to move on to jacob's letter or did you want a quick break yes ma'am yep let's do it okay um and with that curtains are opening again and yeah anthony what is going to be your first trailer pick for jacob's letter all right uh so jacob's letter Although absolutely terrifying, leans more into the drama, I feel like, than yes. late phases. Although late phases, it does, like we were saying, include a lot of sad stuff. So my trailers here are going to be a little more of the dramatic sort. So my first one is going to be John Woo's Bullet in the Head from 1990. In a time of expectation. Courage is born in the hearts of three friends, and hope awakens a dream of a future destined for greatness. But now, in a moment of truth, a single act of defiance will change their lives forever. Redemption will become a treasure forever lost. One of the most depressing movies you'll ever see. I still need to see this. I only found out that it's a Vietnam movie. So it's, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, yeah. A Vietnam movie from, uh, Hong Kong. from a Hong Kong perspective. So uh, it's about these, these three guys from Hong Kong who want to go to Saigon to sort of become criminals. Uh, uh, one of them is Tony Lung, who's who's great, uh, Simon Yam. Um, and then I don't know who the other guy is, Jackie Chung, maybe. Um, uh, but they're, you know, it's it's so, it it's a great John Woo movie. It's not one of his, uh, you know, sort of stereotypical action type of movies. Um, it's very, very heavy. Uh, there are some, there's uh, one scene in particular that is, you know, it it had me kind of squirming, uh, making me so uncomfortable with how heavy it was. Um, so it's, you know, be wary when you go to watch Bolt in the Head. But it's a perfect uh, trailer to play in front of something like Jacob's Ladder. So no, that would be absolutely perfect. Uh, I still need to see this. It's been on my list for a while, um, especially because of Tony Leung, who I'm a little in love with. It's, um, <laughs> it, yeah, and then when I found, because I thought, it would, oh, yeah, that sounds, it's probably just going to be a typical kind of John Woo action crime movie, and then you find out it's a Vietnam movie, and that puts a whole host of other issues um, on top of it. So, no, I'm looking forward to that. I, that would pro- That sounds like an absolutely perfect, perfect trailer. Okay. Actually, I am going to go for a. I'm going to, my first trailer is going to be the Manchurian Candidate from 1962. Raymond Shaw, please. It's a cold war. 
Um, which uh, Jacob's letter is absolutely uh, leaning into. It is about the bees. I can't remember the exact drug, the BZ drug, um, which they, I don't know if they exactly use it on American troops, but I definitely know they use it on Viet Cong prisoners. And it's a messed up drug. It is, um, this is the American government, by the way, um, trying to just testing out new drugs just around this time and doing really shitty stuff. Yeah, it is this amazing movie about a whole bunch of Americans, uh, Frank Sinatra, being captured by, um, I think, the Chinese in this. I can't, yeah, I think it's the Chinese. Um, And they are brainwashed and they have this whole thing in their head. If they can get a trigger, they're going to go do a certain thing. It is an incredible movie. It's, Frankenheimer made a lot of amazing movies, but I think it might, this might be his best. I say this knowing the train exists. It, yeah, it is weird. It is very surreal. Um, also, no seconds exist, which is freaking amazing. Um, but it's weird. It's surreal. Janet Lee's adorable. Yet you don't know what you never figure out why she's in the movie to begin with. Is she a plant? Is she not? Is she just being weird? For like, I have no idea. Um, I think it's got <laughs> yeah. Um, it is. It is an, an amazing, amazing movie. Like if you if you've never seen the movie, I know it was really hard to see for a while because it came out around the time of the JFK assassination. So this movie got a little buried um, for obvious reasons. But it is an amazing, truly amazing movie. You know, I've never seen the original one. I've seen the the remake with Denzel, but for oh, one time, whenever yeah. it came out, I saw it in the theater. Not a bad remake, movie. actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, I quite enjoyed it, uh, or from what I remember, but, um, yeah, so I, this is one, it's a, it's a big blind spot for me that I need to check off here soon. Yeah. Uh, Angela, the Angela Lansbury plays the Meryl Streep character from the remake oh, and wow. she is amazing. She is just the most cold hearted. Uh, it's yeah, it's, it's kind of incredible, but, um, no, the Manchurian candidate is very good. Uh, what is going to be your Sweet. second trailer for Jacob's letter? All right. Um, well, I, I got to do it. And I, so we've talked about it on my show, not the movie, but it was a pick for an episode that you were on. Um, but it, you know, it's sort of in, in my, my mind, the Vietnam movie, and that's John Flynn's Rolling Thunder from 1977. What is wrong with you? You're driving too slow. It's going to take some time to readjust. Jerry! Ah! Shut up! Your husband, he's got a whole bag of silver dollars, and if I don't get him, he's going to die. No, don't. Please don't. You wish you could remember something. A name, a face, an accent, anything. I can't. You can't just let it slide, Major. They don't have any right to live. There's a storm brewing in this man. They took his arm. They took his family and his soul. His anger is building, and it's going to explode. Now, from Paul Schrader, the author of Taxi Driver, comes a new and shattering film about a man poised on the brink of violence. Ruling Thunder. Starring Billy Devane and Tommy Lee Jones. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and, and Linda Haynes, RIP, yeah. passed away recently. Um, and so, you know, it, this is, God, yeah, I'm always in the mood to watch Rolling Thunder and 
I can just imagine this trailer popping popping up and like people just going nuts over the trailer because this movie rules it's that hard. So hard. Um, I almost mentioned as a comparison with uh, Dead Presidents, I think, and I stopped. Um, <laughs> no, Rolling Thunder is amazing. I'll get my gear. It is so brutal. It is so satisfying. It is just so well done. I adore Rolling Thunder to the nth most most degree. I mean, yeah, it's one of those trailers that you just get excited and you're like, oh shit, can we watch Rolling Thunder now? <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that, that might be a problem. Yes. Because uh, people be like, well, I don't want to watch anything but Rolling Thunder now, but sorry, folks. Sorry, folks. You got to watch you, Jacob's Ladder. You got to watch Jacob's Ladder. No, I mean, it's an amazing movie. I think William Devane is amazing in it. And I always kind of underrated William Devane. And then I saw Rolling Thunder and then I watched The Marathon Man, which he's in. And he is is it safe it is so yeah he he's good he was his 70s work is amazing and rolling thunder is one of those movies when you discover it you feel like you're discovering a hidden gem that a lot of other people know yeah. about but thank you quentin tarantino <laughs> for um putting me in the direction of uh and of rolling thunder that might be where she was probably more brian um brian from pure cinema i think probably um pointed me in that direction mm. um but no that is absolutely perfect Okay, I guess, well, it's not bringing down the tone, but I just recently watched it and realized, actually, no, you know what? No, I'm going to go full depressing. I'm going to go full 70s conspiracy depressing, which is what Jacob's letter is. So I'm going to go for the 1978 Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, yeah. Philip Kaufman. Changed my mind. <laughs> they come from a dying world. They drift through the universe, pushed on by the solar winds. They adapt, and they survive. The function of all life is survival. Sleep, sleep, sleep. From deep space, sleep, the seed is planted. Sleep, sleep. Terror grows. Matthew! Matthew! the others. Elizabeth, wake up. Get you when you sleep. Sit up. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's got no detail, no character. It's unformed. All of a sudden, they're growing like parasites. Is it contagious? I love this movie and I am deeply terrified by this movie. There is, oh. I know we talked, I did come on your show to talk about the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers, uh, Don yeah, Siegel. Um, and I think I still kind of prefer the 50s one because the 70s one gets under my skin in a way I don't like. Like there's oh, a, interesting. yeah, there's, it makes me feel things I don't like feeling. Um, the sound they make when they're screaming, um, it's incredibly bleak. Um, I, when, when you're in a movie and you can't trust Spock, I, I don't know how I feel about that. So it's, <laughs> It's yeah, it's a really well amazing movie, and it's absolutely taking the idea of what Body Snatchers was in the fifties and doing it as it would be in the late seventies after Watergate, after you could just not trust anyone. Um, but yeah, it's still a very good movie. But there's something about it that, yeah, I think I need to watch it again to try and figure out what is it. It's because I can't fault it, but there's something about it that makes me feel very uneasy. You know, I'm with you. Uh, I love the 1978 one. I prefer. The 1950, whatever it is, one. Yeah. Um, because it is, uh, I wouldn't say goofy, but 
it's a, I, I don't know it, it's not as bleak as that 70s one yeah um phil kaufman you know it, it was the 70s everything was bleak and yes. so he he made a bleak movie but i gotta say earlier this year i read jack finney's original novel invasion of the body snatchers oh wow and it's it's bleak if not bleaker than philip kaufman's film oh wow i mean it like it was it was so um i wanted to finish it but you know every night laying in bed i was like oh god okay here we go sort of mentally prepare myself to read because you're spending you know the movie you're in and out in maybe two hours yeah you know the book i read in like a week and a half so it was like i spent 10 days in this world and and there's so much more that happens in the book uh they're on the run a lot longer oh um, okay yeah may, maybe not even a lot longer but but it, i don't know they he just jack finney draws it out so long i'm like oh my god can we just because i've seen both movies i know how it's going to end yeah right uh and it's like oh just sort of um uh elongating uh the inevitable and uh i mean the novel's great jack finney i mean what a what a writer i highly recommend the, the book but whew, bleak bleak yeah. let me tell you yeah and it was 1978 they were only very, they were mostly making bleak movies except for star wars star wars kind of was behind the trend which is probably why it was so popular it's like oh this movie's happy um right. space wizards and then you get uh things like uh version of the body snatchers um no i prefer the 1950s one as well there's something about how don siegel directs that and even though I know he wanted to end it on Kevin, what's his name, screaming at the camera, beware they're coming. And the studio was like, no, 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 we need we need something to help the audience like, yes. not be terrified. Where it's, pro- uh, it's probably why I yeah. prefer that one. Because yeah. the ending of with with Donald Sutherland just pointing you know, and the, screaming. The look, the yeah. pointing and the mouth open. No, it's yeah. no, 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 no. That's, no, no, that's no, no, really no. scary. It's terrifying. The world is over. Um and <laughs> Yes, I was going to choose Sleepy Hollow because I've just seen it and I'm reminding myself I loved it. And that is a conspiracy movie, but I think it's more fitting to go in with uh, Kaufman's uh, Body Snatchers going into Jacob's Ladder because... Every day, Jacob Singer goes to work. What's wrong? Uh, It's one of those days. And every day, he wonders what is happening to him. Maybe it's the pressure, Jake. Jess. They weren't human. What were they, Jake? Can we look at your hand? You have a very strange line. See, according to this, you're already dead. Something's wrong, Jake. They're coming after me. I don't know who they are or what they are, but they're gonna get me, and I'm scared, Jake. I've seen them too. The demons are real. He's running 106 feet. This is barbaric. I can get rid of the demons. Who are you? I can block the ladder. Where are you taking me? Where am I? Where do you want to go? Home. This is your home. You're dead. I'm not dead. What are you then? I'm alive. Adrian Lyne, a line, sorry captures 1970s New York that I kept thinking it was actually 1970s New York and kept wondering why certain actors were in it going, wait, 
they would they would have been children. Like uh, Eric Lestrade, there would have been a child when he was meant to be in this and beginning this was actually filmed in 1990. Yeah, okay. So this does take place in in the 70s then? Yes. Like, like okay. Do they, I'm, I, maybe I missed it. Do they put up a title card that says? No, it's just, I think... Uh, the subway assumed, yeah. assumed just the how grungy it is the fact that when sure. he's when you see first tim robbins in the subway it's just covered in graffiti though that could have still been a late 80s new york oh subway. and see that's what i thought that was like yeah. you know this is right before giuliani takes over yes. and sort of you know quote unquote cleans, cleans up, up the city. city um quote unquote but it, yeah it it's uh it is i mean like even that sub the shot on the subway the opening is just uh it sets the tone for the whole movie and it's um like i said earlier this movie is very depressing which is extremely my shit um and then mixes in some of the most bizarro like you have no idea like what is happening in this movie the the you know the the sort of first half is it's just a heavy drama about this soldier back from war, uh, this war that, you know, this absolutely unnecessary war that ruined so many people's lives um, physically and mentally. Yes. And he's just trying to survive in the city. And, you know, he's again, it's it's another part grief movie, right? He's grieving the loss of his his young young son. Yep. Kevin McAllister, um, who. Uh, it's oh, Macaulay like, Culkin. It's Macaulay Culkin. Right. It was it's one of those movies that made me sad because this is probably the last innocent performance he gave. There's something so... It's like with Corey Haim when you're watching Silver Bullet and he's still innocent. He hasn't gone through the rigmarole of Hollywood and become a child actor yet. And like um, Macaulay Culkin would. Like, by the time he gets to Home Alone, he's like, oh, no, he's a fully just... He's probably been treated too much like an adult now, so he's just... Right. giving that child on a child performance and in jacob's ladder he's still a sweet little boy and when he's picking up the baseball cards by the bike um even though that's a horrific moment um it's so sweet and he's so sweet in this like yeah he is and and, and so we get this you know this very heart-wrenching heavy drama um with a few flashes of of weirdness <laughs> and then it takes this bonkers ass hard right into like sci-fi fantasy horror uh you know mind fuck sort of movie uh that doesn't let up until the very end until it hit you know like the big reveal that just hits you like a ton of like a ton of bricks this so i saw this for the first time let me go into my diary for the first time uh in 2017 summer 2017 oh wow that might have been i saw it might have been around the first time i saw this as well yeah and i i i knew almost nothing about it because this came out i i feel like uh, i've written about and talked about how i grew up going to my grandma's on friday nights and we do a double feature the first movie would be something for the kids and the second movie would be something for the adults and i feel like this they would have rented this as sort of their second feature where the kids go go to bed and then the adults are going to watch this one and i i feel like they 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 probably did and i maybe have maybe had peeked out of the bedroom my grandma's bedroom as they were watching this thinking um 
What is that lizard thing that uh, Pena is dancing um, with? Right. Yes. So uh, uh, I didn't. So I didn't see this until just five years ago, and had sort of forgotten. I, I don't want to say most of it, but a lot of the weird details in this movie, including the not weird ending, the, the big reveal. Uh, I completely forgot that he, can we, can we say? Yeah, yeah we'll say. We've we'll, we'll okay. spoiled late phases. We might as well, yeah. That, that he's actually dead. Yes. In Vietnam. He dies on the operating table in, you know, in the medic's tent. Um, and... Uh, I completely forgot about that. And watching it last night, rewatching it, I was just like, oh, God. Oh, it's so, oh, it hurts so good. That yeah, it really <laughs> hurts so good. This is That's the one thing I remembered about it. So when he keeps oh. flashing back to Vietnam, I was like, oh, Vietnam's the real world. Okay. So it's when he's, whenever he flashes back, because it tells a very linear story in when he's in, he's in Vietnam. He's with his his, his with his um uh, group, whatever it's called, the division. Platoon. Platoon. Um, and then there's an attack, but then something goes very wrong and everyone's like having seizures and everything like that. And then he's stabbed. And then it just tells the story of him take being taken from wherever he is to to the medic bay. And so every time he you're flashing back to that, it's because I think the movie's trying to paint it as a memory. And I'm like, oh no, this is what's actually happening to him in real time. This is this is right. when he's lucid and is actually opening his eyes, um, which made this movie way more Inception-esque, especially when he's flashing yeah. back to when he's with his first wife, his, his wife, and when his son's alive. I was like, oh, is this the memory or is this heaven? Like, is this, I'm not entirely sure which it is. And I think I can just sit back and just appreciate the beautiful sadness of it all, of this man who's trying to stay alive. Um and that's why um is it Danny Aleo? Um the great yeah, Danny Aleo's line of everything looks like a demon until you make yeah. peace with it, and then it's an angel from a certain point right. of view. I think I'm butchering the line. Um, oh my god, Danny Aleo in this is just Yeah, I mean he's oh. you know, he's he's a literal I mean, he's the actual angel, right? Yes. Like he's like the guardian, he's his guardian angel. He's his guardian angel. And he he talks he says that at the beginning he's like you know you're a lifesaver, um, you're an you're angel. Lifesaver, what's his, yeah, you're an angel, Louis. Um, and he said, I know. Yeah. And you know because he he really is, and so that for me that's why the ending just hit like a ton of bricks, uh, this time, where, uh, okay, so he, here's here's a question I'd like to pose. Is is he um, dreaming about this? Is what the future could be? Like he he was he he's he was a mailman and he worked. He saw this you know pretty girl that he worked with, played by um, Elizabeth Pena. By, yeah. Uh, what's her name? I think it's Elizabeth Pena, isn't it? Or yeah, Elizabeth Pena. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Jesse, Jezebel. Um, and so that was just a memory in his head, like a picture he had in his head that he kept. And so was he creating this future with her in these flash forwards? 
uh, every time he closed his eyes or, or was this like a memory that he had before he was shipped off to Vietnam? I don't know. I mean, you could read it either which way. I think because when I was watching it, I always saw those parts in New in New York as him being in limbo. Like I think it even has signs that says limbo or hell or certain directions and kind of things like that. I love how literal okay. this movie is. I mean, when you're watching it and you know the twist, you're like, oh, it's just telling you. Like it's not even trying to. Um, oh yeah, God, I need to go back and watch this. It'll need, be sooner than five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah it just it, everyone needs to watch Jacob's Ladder all the time. Is what I'm really just. <laughs> discovering you just need to watch it once a week it's that good it's um it's like asian line really good director it's um so i was kind of sort as that but i think it could be him trying to make it could be a memory that he had because he does talk about the fact that his son died before he went to vietnam and it could be a thing he's thinking of in the future because he knows that he can after this experience he can never go back to his family like he he can't Mm. um which is heartbreaking, but kind of a reality of how do you go back to your family after being in war? How do you, if something so changed and so kind of chemically changed in your brain, you're just a completely different person because you've gone through all this trauma, especially Vietnam when you did not have the choice to whether to stay or go. It's, yeah, so I think you can interpret it either which way. I saw it as limbo, so I'm guessing leaning toward more the, thing he's kind of creating in his head that this is a future he's thinking about um and it's that's because i for some reason i just kept thinking this is the 70s and if he was in vietnam that would have been the 60s so it's how you want to read it is what i'm okay, gonna sure. i'm gonna cop out and say that yeah yeah no i think that's a good point you know i um i'm a big fan of Catherine Bigelow's The Hurt Locker. I don't know if that's cliche or if that's controversial. I don't know if people like that movie or not. Uh, big fan I of like The Hurt it. Locker. And I think that she does such a good job, and Jeremy Renner's very good in it. Yes. Um, does such a great job at, um, you know, these soldiers, whether you're forced to be there or whether you chose to be there, forced to be there like Tim Robbins, in Jacob's Ladder, or chose to be there, like in the Hurt Locker, um, life after war ain't going to be the same. No. And some, some, most, I don't know, uh, people can't can't deal with it and don't know how to deal with it, which is very, very depressing and very, very sad. And, and this country, America, is is and always has been terrible at being able to offer the care um for veterans um that that they can get back on their feet and try to find some sort of normalcy uh i mean uh, you know the the smart thing to do would be okay let's not let's not fight anyone and not send these guys off and turn them into robots like these killing machines yes and then say, okay, you can come back home now and live like a normal human being. That ain't how it works. No, no. I um, mean, they've gotten, because of war, they've gotten really good at if someone loses a leg or an arm, having kind of um, prosthetics and kind of mechanical, I'm blanking on the terms, of, of feet. But in terms of their mental state, 
they're terrible. I mean, again, bringing up Brooklyn 45, which everyone should go on Shutter and watch, yeah. deals yeah. with that exact same thing. You cannot just expect people to come home and not be fucked up. Um, this is that as well. So I read it as Tim Robbins, who's the whole thing is that they were experimented on to try and turn them into more aggressive soldiers because the army, which was a consideration because they were sending people who didn't want to be there and didn't want to kill anyone. So um, whereas Ambrose makes the choice to actively be a soldier once he's there and and kill, these guys can't. Unfortunately, they just turn on each other. And that's the whole thing of, of, of this. It's kind of um, sort of the tragedy of what Vietnam was, which I love about this movie. It just kind of weaves that in gently. It's not because you're mostly in New York with Tim Robbins, you're not really in the in the jungle of um, Vietnam a whole bunch. You're just in this, you're with Tim Robbins and you're just trying to watch him get through the day and do it very, he's not coping. I mean, um, even his fantasy woman, Elizabeth Pena, is threatening constantly to leave him because she can't even handle what's happening to him. And she doesn't know because he doesn't have the language to explain and, then you get that scene when he's in the bathtub with the ice and it's his face when he wakes up from his dream that he was with his family is like the saddest thing I've ever seen in a movie. And I've seen a reversible. Um, and that, <laughs> and that scene when he's crying and he's realizing he's alive and he doesn't know how to feel about it is gut wrenching. Yeah. Yeah. He, God, he is so, freaking good in this i i don't know there are two maybe three i'm looking at the cast here good guys in this movie tim yes. robbins of course yep. danny aiello of yep. course and i feel like pruitt taylor vince would be the other good guy you know he Which dies in a strange. car bomb right oh that smile he gives is it, it's, I, know, I mean, God, there's knowing so the end of the movie, moments. you know why he's smiling, but that smile he gives to him just before the car explodes is, oh my God, <laughs> which is weird because well, uh, uh, Taylor uh, Vince usually plays the creepy guy. So when he was like being this really nice, gentle guy, I'm like, hang on, something, something's off yeah, here. Right, well, yeah, keep, I mean, yeah, you talked about devil's candy earlier, you know, exactly. he's super, super creepy in that. Um, yeah, the, the, the haunting there's so many haunting images oh. in this movie but the one that really sticks with me is not one of the horror sort of themed ones it's the one during the battle at the beginning where there's the explosions and the gunfire and like everybody's killing each other and you think the americans are killing the 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 vc but it shows pro taylor vince just sitting there cross-legged like a child like crying yeah and he like in hysterics and it's it's so freaking sad um you know i i remembered back in 2001 after september 11th um there were talks of of the draft again because you know gotta go over and get the bad guys yes. and we need we need every every uh, uh uh walking american man to be in the army whether they want to be there or not and so I remember having the conversation with my parents saying, okay, uh, obviously I'm not going to join the military. So I need to a either be prepared to 
go to jail for the dumbest reason, or B, we need to figure out how to get me out of the country. Yes. Which up is to Canada. And so and that, like we, we have these, I had this conversation with my parents, which is so stupid. Like, don't, I, you know, I, no, this keeps happening. I mean, people sort of keep one. I mean, someone was going, why was Vietnam so protested? I went, because they were drafting people who didn't want to go that, I mean, the same thing has happened in Russia. They started the draft. A lot of right. people try to leave the country. I mean, it's a it's a thing that happened. I mean, my favorite story, just to lighten things up, is when Iggy um, Iggy Pop was drafted, and he just went in and pretended to be gay and like started grabbing crutches, and they just went, "Okay, no, you're not." Thing, and then he able to win on and create the Stooges. It's um, it was a thing that I mean, even Australia in Vietnam also had the draft, so it wasn't as big as America, but that still happened in australia and that's conversations a lot of people had to have it's like okay so i either need to go to a university which a lot of people couldn't afford at the time or i need to um somehow be okay with going to prison or i need to go to canada like that was those are not easy choices and the war lasted as long as with Iraq and Afghanistan as it did because they did not draft. I don't think they would have, I think they realized, okay, if we want to keep this industrial complex going, we we can't draft people. We need to get them in willingly. Um, because when you draft uh, young men to go to a war they don't want to go to, it's not going to go well. Like it's just yeah. not, um, especially when you have as many film crews as we do nowadays, which is the thing about Vietnam. People saw what was happening and went, that's not good. I don't want to send my son there. Um, and it's a hard thing, but this movie kind of contends with the fact, okay, as you said before, America is terrible at dealing with these soldiers who they made to go to war. And now they've come back and now they expect them to be normal and they're not these are damaged broken people and i love all the performances in this i mean the cast in this movie is incredible i mean you have eric lasalle from ia you have even ving rame showing up um vince pro you have jason alexander playing a smarmy lawyer david aiello playing a literal angel and he's my favorite thing when he's walking out of the hospital with um tim robbins and he just says i'm upset <laughs> it's like the greatest thing ever that is that's a that's an incredible scene. I, I got yeah. I want to talk about Adrian Adrian Line real quick here. Yeah. So to me, Adrian Line was always sort of the erotic thriller sort of fatal guy, attraction. Right? Yes, fatal attraction was one of three three VHS tapes we had growing up uh, in the early nineties. Uh, because VHS was so expensive, and especially the players were like six hundred something dollars. And so, anyways, my dad got his hands on one, and so we had three VH VHS tapes. It was Ferris Bueller's Day Off, uh, Indiana Jones: The Last Crusade, and Fatal Attraction, which, uh, of course, I'd never watched. My parents would never let me watch when I was a kid. <laughs> um, but so, like Adrian Lyne, to me, was always you know, the fatal attraction guy. And he did, you know, indecent proposal, nine and a half weeks. Right. Um, and, and then uh, more recently he did deep water, which is sort yes. of, uh, you know, he did unfaithful Lolita, you know, he's that sort of guy. But then you have, you have foxes, which I'm not a huge fan of, but it decent movie, uh, not an erotic 
thriller. That's the one about the, the young girls. It has Jodie Foster. Young, right, Jodie Foster. Yep, I think yep, of the right movie. Yep. yep. Um, Flashdance, which I'm a huge fan of. Great 1983 movie. Um, and then Jacob's Ladder is like his one sort of outlier, I think, because Flashdance even falls into a, a little Slightly bit. Slightly erotic. Of, yeah. Right. Uh, but Jacob's Ladder is such an outlier and proves that, uh, or maybe not even necessarily proves, but shows that Adrian Lyon, like, can do more than like you know the stuff in his wheelhouse that sort of erotic thriller sort of movie um he, he directs the hell out of jacob's ladder he really does i mean it is absolutely gorgeous i was reading a little bit of it and he was talking about his artistic influences like geiger and a few other artists which is beautifully seen see i mean it's a gorgeous looking movie i mean yes there's a few moments when you have a, a naked um elizabeth Pena. And she is stunning in this. Like there's this moment when she's just curled up, you just see her hip and she's kind of playing with um, with her, her foot is playing with uh, Tim Robbins' boxes and it's like the most erotic moment in a in the, in the movie. Um, it's just, it, it's so intimate. It's just what two people who are in bed together, how they touch each other and it's just such a tiny moment. Um, but this movie looks absolutely gorgeous and it is beautifully directed. The way he goes from drama to surreal is incredible especially when they're at the party and uh he's talking to the psychic who also was the captain in law and order for like fifty thousand years um she's amazing in that like it's just got these really great again new york actors just all the way through it and she's reading and the way she can go oh um you've got a really interesting oh by the according to this you're dead baby just flash me those pretty blue eyes once more and then that's when it goes into the surreal. That's when Elizabeth Penny is dancing. Probably one of the most most well-known moments from this movie is her dancing with the lizard, like grinding on it. It's just this horrific, you don't know why it's there, what's going on. It's just him hallucinating. Um, and that's when it sort of, that shift is when it goes into sort of the more surreal and you've got the car chases and the shaky head, the shaky heads, um, which is a little bit in the first one, but a part of, but just not as noticeable. Um, yeah. But yeah, the way he transitions into the grotesque is amazing. And so when Dave, Danny Aleo is running through the hospital yelling out for Jake, um, it, that hospital looks horrific. That looks like an old timey, poor, uh, rundown, not much funding hospital that you don't want to find yourself in. Um, yeah, which is New York in the seventies, like or the late seventies. It's it's um. It, it just captures that absolutely perfectly. And he is, he is directs the hell out of us. I think he also might've directed the firstborn identity, which is a movie I also really, really love. So yeah, he can, he is known as the erotic thriller guy, but he can do so much more and he knows how to make a good movie. I, yeah. Jacob's letter has to be one of his best movies. And I do actually kind of like fatal attraction. Oh, uh, I love, I love fatal attraction. Yeah. Me now. too. Yeah. I just, I think, I think... Colos has never been as sexy as she was in that movie. And I think the movie knows that, you're meant to be on her side until the end. Like, I think that is right. how it's, yeah. I think, um, and I, I just watched this on, on prime last night. So I, I didn't, you know, uh, I haven't heard any commentaries or read it. I haven't read anything about, about this, his influences or anything, but I gotta say, I, I felt like, um, a hi- huge influence on Jacob's ladder is Andre Zulowski's possession yes uh, i remember that I as well but it... so much possession influence on this um 
because I mean, at, at the beginning on the creepy, on the creepy subway, he's walking out and he looks at the, the homeless person sleeping on the bench and you just see like a tentacle or a snake or something sort of squirming. Then he jumps out and like peeks back in real quick just to make sure to see what he actually saw. Mm. Um, and then you get this, this sort of that lizard imagery at the club um, at the, you know, this very trippy sequence. But then uh, I watched um, uh, thanks to our, the review uh, from our friend Lance uh, Shibe from uh, uh, Unsung Horrors. Mm. He said on the Blu-ray, there's a deleted scene uh, called the anti the antidote where Matt Craven, when, when Matt Craven, who I love uh, another great character actor, yeah. Matt Craven comes in and, and reveals himself to be sort of the chemist who, invented this drug and then sprayed you know he was sort of responsible for this he um in this deleted scene that you can see on youtube or on the blu-ray he tells jake that he has the antidote and so he takes him back to his scuzzy apartment and has him <clears throat> has jake lay down and hold out his tongue and like with an eyedropper you know just like taking lsd mm drops you know a little bit of liquid onto jake's tongue and says just relax and the other thing is i feel like matt craven is sort of the opposite uh danny aiello in this whereas danny aiello is sort of like your good white angel over here yeah. matt craven is sort of like the bad angel over here yes yes and, and so so jake uh in this deleted scene like has this horrific uh hallucination where like the the ceiling cracks open and like rains a bunch of blood on his face and then uh through the cracks he can see this like giant like slithery monster thing peeking through at him and so i thought it's so funny because really the the slithery tentacle snake thing at the beginning on the subway doesn't really make any sense it doesn't have to because there's so much hallucinatory imagery mm. in this but it connects to this deleted scene that isn't in the final cut of the oh, movie and also elizabeth Pena dancing with the snake thing in the party as well in the club because yep. it's i guess it's yeah that would make more sense i mean i do like how the movie ends of just him having the conversation with matt craven deciding to go to brooklyn um, typical taxi driver. Oh, I don't go to Brooklyn. I don't know the way. Uh, I'll tell you. And then he goes to his old old house, which is empty, when he runs into his son, Kane, um, who obviously takes him up Jacob's letter. Um, but I think having that scene in there would have made more sense because it is – the movie does hint that it's a it's a, a fight between angels and demons, and it's which one he's going to – choose i mean there is literally a sign on the subway that says something in hell like i don't know what the other one is but you see hell like a direction kind of point of what's he going to choose it's never a thing of is he going to survive it's which path is he going to choose so i think um that would have made more sense and now i need to buy the blu-ray so i can have that deleted scene but it doesn't stop me having I like I like how this movie ends. I like him having a conversation with uh, Matt Craven, then going back to his old family home and seeing his son, which is 
like the saddest thing ever because that's when you realize oh hang on something this is yeah he he is now dying and now he's accepting it because he gets to go be with his son i'm just now looking up what jacob's ladder is it's from the bible i didn't realize that yes it is a a a ladder between way to heaven it's a stairway to heaven yeah i I read that after i watched the movies because i was wondering what a jacob's ladder was yeah i thought i thought why why did i think that a jacob's ladder was like uh like the two electrode coils here with the electricity going back and forth is that also called a jacob's ladder it might be i uh jacob's ladder was a horror film remake no it's not i don't know what i'm thinking of jesus come on Mm. um oh there's a there's a jacob's ladder in brisbane in australia hang on (laughs) a town there's one in king's park there's three towns called jacob's ladder in australia jacob's ladder bridge in new zealand Oh yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not doing anything. I'm not crossing a bridge called Jacob's Ladder. I'm not going to a town called one Salem's Lot, two Jacob's Ladder, um, uh, three Jerusalem's Lot. I'm not going to a Jerusalem's Lot. Oh no, I'm not going to Jerusalem's Lot ever. Freaking kidding me? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Any. uh, Sorry, Jacob's Ladder just sounds. I mean, even if you hadn't seen the movie Jacob's Ladder just sounds depressing you know what okay so my first impression of jacob's ladder i always thought it was this um very very sad heavy drama which it is it is but not not horror or fantasy related at all i thought it was more like and this is another movie i haven't seen lorenzo's oil which oh, I've seen I've that. Seen yes, that is the ultimate. Movie. That is the ultimate sad drama. You might actually like that movie. It is. I'm sure I would. Yeah. I'm sure I would now. But like, these are movies that came out when I was, you know, like eight, nine years old, and I just assumed by the title, Lorenzo's Oil. That sounds sad. J- Jacob's Ladder. It's got a it's something to do with dead kids. I yeah. assume there's dead kids in this. Both, and both you know movies what? are about dead kids. dead kids. So yeah, oh, dying yeah. kids. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, and this, this was when I was a little kid and I had no idea what the movie was about. I just assumed it was sad and, and probably dealt with a dead kid. Um, and you know, back then that was before I realized, oh gosh, I love a sad movie. This is before Ice Storm came into your life and you just went, this is what I was missing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Again, love dead my- kids. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> no, I mean, there was a time in the eighties and nineties that there was the sad, movie i mean we get ordinary people we get um oh i say uh ice storm is more late 90s which is kind of a little bit later than the trend um mm-hmm. but still an amazing movie i mean ang lee just directs the hell out of that movie but there is this kind yeah. of thing that would get a lot of oscar play and that was the sad family drama and i think jacob's ladder is playing with that motif a lot and yeah i didn't know it was a horror movie either i just heard jacob's ladder and just went oh sad drama and to be fair, it is. You, I just when you're watching it, you realize, oh no, wait, this is hallucinatory. This is also hallucinatory that this guy, um, not knowing what's real and what isn't, and just trying to figure it out. Mm. And then when you watch it again, you realize that it's just very literal about a man who is dying and is again deciding what he's going to do and accepting his own death, no matter how unfair that death is. 
because every death in the movie is unfair. Like Macaulay Culkin's death, death is not fair. I mean, that is a kid who got hit by a truck in the middle of a street. It, his uh, Tim Robbins' death is, I forget who stabs him at the end. You see his face, but I forget who it was. Um, yeah. Um, I think it's just meant to be someone on his own platoon. On his, yeah, on his side, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't a Viet, it wasn't a Viet Cong. His death is unfair, the fact that he was used, because I take the fact that he was drugged as an actual fact of the movie i i don't know yeah. why i don't think there's any evidence to base that but i think he's just coming to the realization of this is how he died it was yep. he got he got drugged someone in his own side killed him now he's dead and it's unfair but this is where he is and now he has to make it's about making decision unfair unfair circumstances where you have to make a choice i think is what i'm trying to get at yeah what's i i, I like not often do I think about um, death. I'm not. I'm not scared of death. Um, but you know, I just. I'm, I'm not going to spend most of my time thinking about you yeah. know, my own demise. But I appreciate how this movie uh, approaches the moment of one's death, where it kind of does does this sort of dual thing. One where one's life flashes before one's eyes, mm. okay, the the past, the memories, but two, uh, uh, something else flashes before your eyes. Whether it's it's the future, um, uh, what could have been, or or just s- some sort of um, you know, I like in Signs. Signs is one of my all-time favorite movies, and and uh, uh, sorry, I I think Mel Gibson's a heck of an actor, and uh, he's really great in that. But oh, he's a heck of an actor. He's just I I everything love else. <laughs> in Signs how they talk about when when his wife is uh, you know hanging on, you know her life is is sort of uh, fading. She's pinned to the tree. And I can't remember who says the line, if it was Mel Gibson or or the cop, or if it was M. Night, because he was the doctor, or the mm-hmm. guy who drove, whoever, said, um, you know, why is she saying all these things? And they talk about sort of all the neurons, uh, the nerve endings firing um, their final shot in her brain. And so she has these sort of like uh, her fleeting memories are sort of, you know, coming out vocally, which is uh, one, beautiful, but two, very, very, very sad to think about. And so I think about how uh, Adrian Lyne and the screenwriter, who I will credit in one second, screenwriter Bruce Joel Rubin tackles the moment of one's death, uh, whether it's your life flashes before your eyes or something else flashes before your eyes. Um your what you hoped uh your life would have been who knows Mm. um but what's interesting is that in both scenarios here his son is dead macaulay culkin is dead so it's not like one is is like reality is really sad and my son died but you know this fantasy that i have everything's happy my kids are all alive no, the fantasy or the future or whatever it is is also very, very, very sad. Yeah, it's about a man who couldn't go home to his family, so he 
left it to go live in the, I guess, the city. Is it Manhattan? I'm guessing it's the Manhattan where he's living. Um, yep. To live with this woman he remembers from the post office that he had. Oh, yeah, because he, he lived on. in Brooklyn with yeah. his with his family family. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and okay. Then, so I'm assuming, because you never they never actually... Brooklyn's the only location that you really get. You don't even know where anything else is happening. I'm just assuming it's New York because I've seen too many 80s and 70s New York movies. So I'm like going, oh, this is what New York was back in the day. Um, it's so it's um, yeah, but you're right. The future is very sad. And I don't know if it's kind of the nuance presenting of this is what my life is going to be like, even though every single point where someone calls him dead, Tim Robbins insists on saying, I'm alive, I'm alive. Like he's yeah trying to sort of say, no, I'm going to survive this, even though, again, when you're in, when he's in the bathtub, that look on his face is of, why am I here? I don't want to be here. I want to be with my family, even though that is just a memory now. It's, Tim Robbins is fantastic in this. I mean, I can be a little bit up and down on him, depending on the role, but this one He's incredible. There's this moment when he's, um, they're at the party again. Uh, Elizabeth Pena is trying to get him to dance. Or Jesse is trying to get him to dance. The fact that she's called Jezebel, I think, is just, again, this amazing literal thing the movie's doing. The woman who steals him away from his family. Um, mm. And he's kind of half dancing, but he's doing this thing where his head's kind of down. He looks adorable because he can't dance. Like It's like white guy, just shuffle. But it's so good. And it's to James Brown and it's just, it's, I don't know. This movie is populated how New York would have been populated. It's people of different colors, different races, different kind of situations. And it, yeah, this movie's just really great, guys. It's going to make you cry like buckets, like not just the ending, like all of it is going to make you cry, but it is like satisfying. It is beautiful. It is perfect. It is it is probably one of the best returning home soldier movies ever made. Um, it doesn't get talked about enough because I think it is such a weird movie. Um, Cause you don't know why faces are blurred. You don't know why um, you're seeing weird lizard creatures, which I kind of wish they kept in the, that deleted scene. Um, I think maybe it would have been too weird, but I think it would have made more sense of him after that, making the decision to go back to Brooklyn. Like I think yeah, that, I, yeah. I, I do yeah. recommend people go on YouTube. If you don't have the Blu-ray, go, go yeah. watch the deleted scene. Cause it's on, it's, uh, it's, you know, part of movie clips, movie clips is, you know, they, they're the YouTube channel that has several clips of, you know, all the movies. Yeah. They have the deleted scenes uh, from Jacob's Lab. So yeah. it's, it's really cool. Yeah. Just search Jacob's Ladder deleted scenes and it'll be the first one that pops up. Yeah, no, it's, but no, this, I mean, even Jason Alexander, again, an actor I can be hidden miss on, I think he's really amazing as a dodgy lawyer. Um, no, this movie's amazing. Like, it yep. is so, so good. Agreed. Yeah, anything else you want to say about Jacob's Ladder before we finish off? Uh, No. No, no, I think uh, it's a, it's a good and you know it's 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 a good October watch too because it's it is. you know sort of dark and dank and, and spooky misty and yeah it is it's good permanently October. autumn like yeah you got the feeling that yeah, everything's sure. very cold and those apartments they're living in are not well heated like I don't care that Elizabeth Pena's walking around in floral dresses I'm like you are cold lady <laughs> 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 yeah it's actually a very sweet movie as well when he's bringing her lunch I think is like just perfect and. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, Jacob's Ladder is a quiet masterpiece. Um, and it is amazing. And Adrian Lyon, really good director. So yeah. um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on for this this episode. This has been an absolute blast. I always love having you on. 
Oh, it's my pleasure. This is such a great time. Good hang, Lindsay. Yes, excellent. Uh, before we go, please tell people where they can find your good work. Uh, you can find me every Friday, uh, my column, Notes on Film at fthismovie.com. And uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at A.K. Donnelly. That's A-K-D-O-N-E-L-L-Y. And Letterbox too. And then uh, Cult Movies, uh, at Cult Movies Pod on Twitter and Letterboxd. And Litterbox, Letterbox, no, Twitter and Instagram. And uh, we'll come back, you know, eventually, yeah. someday. Maybe yeah, maybe will. November, maybe 2024. Who knows, folks? It's and my show. He, I can do whatever I want. Exactly. He can take his time. I mean, he did such a good job with the first book. He can have a longer break. It's fine. Plus, he's writing something. He's got F this movie columns. He's got a lot of things going on. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Exactly. Um, no, thank you for listening. As usual, Shakanor on all the pods. Rate and review if you want. Um, but I'm Reading Geek and or Shlokanor or one on all the different ones, Letterboxd, Twitter, Instagram. Blue Sky, all that kind of thing. So, yeah, if you want to follow me there. And we will be back with another Howling Double feature. All right, thanks, guys. Bye. (laughs) 